In this week's Leeds Business Podcast, we speak to Ajaz Ahmed, who built FreeServe, a company that went from a eureka moment to a multi-billion pound valuation in just three years. Ajaz tells us how he did it and the key ingredient that powered its amazing success. He also tells us how you can get amazing free marketing advice from supermarkets, why Simon Cowell is the best business advisor, and the secret trick to an effective business card. To make sure you never miss out on every episode of the Leeds Business Podcast, sign up to our priority list at www.leedsbusinesspodcast.com. And everyone that signs up gets a free gift to help their business. So let's get into what is a fascinating interview. On today's Leeds Business Podcast, we have Ajaz Ahmed. He was essentially the man who introduced the internet to the UK. Good morning, Ajaz. Good morning. So for many people, um, you are the man that brought the internet into our lives, into our living rooms, into our kitchens. It's a fascinating story. I was reading all about it yesterday. So tell us all about it. Go on, straight in. First of all, uh, FreeServe was introduced in 1998. And I'm very surprised that uh, I thought by now people would have forgotten about it. But wherever I go, uh, people still remember it. And the younger people who I thought, well, they won't know about it, they say things like, well, my father uh, had a FreeServe email account. So it's not dead yet. People still remember it. And uh, FreeServe started when um, I bought myself a computer and a modem because I'd heard about this thing called the internet. And very, very few people had the internet in the UK at that time. And the the, the eureka moment was, when I asked the staff in my shop, because I used to work, I was a manager for PC World in Leeds uh, by Elland Road. And um, lots of people were buying computers and software and things like that. And I asked the staff in my shop, how do you get onto the internet? And to my great surprise, nobody could tell me. You know, it was like, we don't know. Don't know, no, no idea. And, um, and then eventually I found someone in the technical center. And uh, he said to me, you should try Demon Internet. They're a good ISP internet service provider, you should try them. So I phoned uh, Demon Internet and I said to the guy, I want to go on the internet, what do I need? And he said, you need a, a browser. I thought, okay. And I said, how do I get a browser? And he said, you can FTP it from our site. And I thought, what the hell's an FTP? And uh, now that I know an FTP is, stands for File Transfer Protocol, which means that you need to be on the internet to be able to download a browser and the surprising thing is uh, back in those days Microsoft did not include a browser with Windows because there was no point because there was very very few people on the internet so why include a browser now of course it's standard with everything but in those days a browser was not bundled with Windows uh, so, so I gave up because of the fact that you have to FTP it and uh, I eventually carried on trying to find it, and eventually I got a CD from a magazine cover for a company called CompuServe, which is an American company. And when I got onto the internet, I thought, wow, this is the future. Eventually, everyone is going to want to go on the internet. There's so much stuff on here. And uh, I started thinking about my experience, and that's when I had my eureka moment. Now, the eureka moment is a reaction to an event. Something happens and you go, ah, but most people have eureka moments and they don't do anything about it. They just go, ah, and that's it. 
But for me, I thought about my experience. My experience was that everyone that I asked couldn't tell me how to get on the internet except this one guy in the technical center. And uh, when I phoned up that ISP, they said you need to FTP from our site. So the thing was, if we become an ISP, uh, we've got Dixon's, Curry's, and PC World, which is the same group. And if people are walking to our store saying, uh, I want to go on the internet, instead of saying, we don't know, we can give them a, uh, a CD, which will have the, C uh, the actual browser on there. We can give it to them. We can also pile it up in the stores. And then people can just come in and pick it up. And then compared to our competitors who have to spend a fortune on acquiring the customer, which is the single biggest thing, reason why people actually fail in business, because they haven't figured out how to actually acquire the customer. We've got a thousand shops up and down the country, and we can pile up CDs, and people can just pick them up. And every time someone buys a computer, we can say, you need internet access, here you go. And when they take it home, it will install the browser on your computer. So we made it, make it easy for them. And I thought to myself, well, we need to become an ISP because we've got all these stores and we can get the customer very, very easily. And our cost of acquisition will be zero because of the fact we don't have to advertise it. And then the other thing I thought to myself was, if we're actually controlling the browser, we can burn into the browser our own home address. So every time you open it, it'll have our portal on there. And by the way, that is our portal. Uh, I've, I printed that many, many years ago, and it's still on my wall. And we can burn our portal onto uh, the browser so they see that every single time. And the portal will have things like a search engine on it, It'll have shopping channels on it. It'll have the news channel on it. All these things that we can control that and we can make money from all these things. So with that in mind, I thought I'll go see the managing director of PC World and tell him about my great idea. And when I told him, he thought about it and he said, no, no, <laughs> let's just focus on opening more stores. Because our business is booming at the moment. People uh, are wanting to buy computers, and we have not got stores in many towns. And he said, where do you live? I said, Huddersfield. And he said, Huddersfield, we haven't got a store there. So, you know, why did you become the manager of the store in Huddersfield? And I can, thought, I well, can I just, can yeah, I just stop I just you? Can I just, yeah. can I just stop yeah, you yeah. there? Because that, that point is, is yeah. fascinating. It's like the man who turned down the Beatles, isn't it? You basically said to... Almost. The MD, the MD, yeah. uh, you know, I've got this brilliant idea. We're going to, we've got this almost perfect business plan of, of free customers and walking them through the door of our online shop. And he said, no, we just want to open more shops. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, there's many, many examples of that because people just don't understand what – uh, people are telling them they just don't get it and you know what is the difference between a, a business person and an entrepreneur well one of the things is that an entrepreneur can imagine it before it happens where a business person needs to see it before they understand it and the best example of that is actually the the apple stores and in uh, steve jobs book he writes about how he went to his board because he had an idea which was that we don't control the last piece of the jigsaw 
we don't sell our own computers, so we need to open stores to sell computers. And when he told his board, the board said no. Uh, other people have tried it, and it hasn't worked. So he, he went away, and he built a store in a warehouse. And he spent a bit of time, got it just right, and once he got it right, then he got his board uh, on a bus and took them to this warehouse, and he showed them this store. And once they saw the store, uh, in fact, they didn't need to imagine it anymore. And uh, and they said, yes, let's do it. And uh, the Apple stores have got the highest sales per square foot in any retail business in the world. Uh, Amazing. But, you know, so it's the same example. This guy couldn't imagine it, uh, and I imagined it straight away, and he couldn't because he's a retailer. And I, but I was a retailer as well, but I could imagine the power of the Internet. So I almost gave up. And I was reading something in a magazine called Vanity Fair, which is an American magazine. And they managed to get together uh, the new establishment. And they said the old establishment are the oil barons and the steel magnets. And, and uh, they said um, the new establishment and the people that control content and media. And they managed to get together uh, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. And this one guy called Ted Turner and uh, most people, many people don't actually know who Ted Turner is, but they know what he did. He was the founder of CNN, the world's first 24-hour news channel. And this guy was writing about Ted, and he said, what people like Ted are required to do is do the obvious before it becomes obvious to everyone else, because by the time it becomes obvious to everyone else, it's too late because people like Ted have done it and the other guys haven't. And what possible reason did Ted have to start a 24-hour news channel? Now, can you imagine that if someone told you, um, let's start a 24-hour news channel, most people said, don't be stupid. Who is going to watch news 24 hours a day? No. But now we know, actually, it's not about watching news 24 hours a day. It's about watching news when you want to watch it. If something happens then the next thing you do is you turn on the television and find out what's happening on 24-hour news channel. And that's what it's about. So when I, when I read that, I thought, wow, just because this guy said no doesn't mean to say it's a, a poor idea. It's just that this guy doesn't get it. And so I need to persevere. So eventually I managed to get a meeting with the group CEO, the guy that controls Dixon's um, PC World and Curry's, the whole thing, uh, because the other MD had actually left uh, PC World and gone to work at Argos, uh, believe it or not. And they struggled many years later because of the internet. Uh, never mind. Uh, so I managed to get a, um, a meeting with this guy, and he said, do you know what? I've got no idea if it's going to work, but we need to do something with the internet, so let's give it a go. So FreeServe was launched at 11 o'clock in the morning at the FT building in London on the 22nd of September, 1998. And when we announced it to the press, um, everyone started, wow, this is great. This And on the one o'clock news, the BBC talked about it and it was on the press. It was on teletext. You remember teletext uh, all those indeed. years ago? And, um, and yeah, do you remember? And so people started to walk into the stores and pick up CDs. And I've actually uh, got some CDs here. So let me just, uh, I should have, these are the CDs. For those who are listening to the podcast, this is, this is great audio. <laughs> uh, Ajaz is holding up 
Um, a CD, a CD that I well remember having piles of in my house. But before we before we carry on, yeah, I just want to just want to focus on the business model because yeah. I was reading about your story yesterday. Tell yeah. us about how what was going to be Channel Six and the fact that how you got how you got to fr- how you got to the point of being free because you were you it was going to be yeah. paid for originally, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, we originally we were going to charge ten pounds a month, just like everyone else. Um, and we would have been very, very profitable because our cost of distribution was nothing. And we didn't actually need any uh, marketing people. We didn't need any uh, people to acquire customers. So we only needed a few people. Uh, and by the way, when FreeServe became the largest ISP in the UK, we actually only had three people. And that's all we had. So we would have been very profitable. Uh, but we changed it to free because uh British Telecom uh, launched a new company before FreeServe started, which is called BT Click. And BT Click was a local rate phone call plus a penny a minute. Pay as you go. And I thought, shit, who's going to pay a tenner a month when you can get it for a penny a minute? And we looked into it and found that uh, British Telecom had to share the revenue with whoever is the uh, the company where the call terminates. If you start on British Telecom and it terminates on, on our platform, they have to share that revenue with us. And as we were looking into it, we thought, actually, we don't need to charge anything. We can give it away for free and just make money from the local rate phone call. Uh, so sometimes it was a penny a minute. So we got a fraction of a penny from a penny a minute, which sounds like not a lot of money. But at one point, we were doing more than a billion minutes a month. Wow. So a fraction of a penny was an awful lot of money on a billion minutes, yeah. And the other big thing was our portal. The thing that we, the home, the address that we burnt into the portal, we had a search engine, the shopping channel, all these things. And from the search engine alone, we were making two and a half million pounds a year. And then people were coming to us and saying, I want my uh, shopping site, e-commerce site on uh, your shopping channel. And I used to sit there and say, yeah, okay, fine. Uh, um, if you give us uh, £200,000 and then share the revenue with us, then you can be on there. And people paid it. Wow. Because they were desperate to be on the free serve uh, shopping channel. And the reason was because they wanted to float their business. The dot-com boom had started. Uh, so we had the busiest uh, website in the UK, just like Google now, the busiest website. We were the Google weren't there. Uh, they had yet to launch uh, anywhere in the world, actually. They launched after us. Um, and uh, so we had the busiest uh, um, website, and then people were paying us an awful lot of money. Plus, we made money from uh, the, the local rate phone calls. And we didn't have to collect the money either from the local rate phone calls. Uh, British Telecom charged. The, the money to the actual their customer and they gave us our share which is fantastic I, I remember the first month we actually got our share of the revenue it was an enormous amount of money we thought wow um, and uh, we only employed three people uh, so our business just boomed from the first day and people were then going to the stores because if, if someone told you you should try this new internet company called FreeServe and they said how do I get it well just walk into your store and, and get a CD uh, and that's all people were doing. So the model worked beautifully. And we launched, as I said, on the 22nd of September. And by December, we were the largest ISP in the country. So the two American companies that were the largest ISPs, they were gone. 
who was going to pay them £17 a month when they could uh, join FreeServe for nothing and just pay a local rate phone call. So the whole market changed. Uh, and okay. the, by the way, there were other free ISPs in the UK. We were not the only one. But what we had and the thing that they didn't have was we had these customers. We had a 1,000 stores up and down the country. Everyone else had to advertise their products, and the cost of acquiring was more than the money they could generate from the local rate phone call, uh, whereas in our case it was nothing. And one of the things that businesses need to understand is that when they've come up with a great idea, they also need to understand how they're going to acquire their customer. And that is the single biggest reason why companies fail, actually. They haven't thought about how they're going to get their customer. There's this saying, which is, if you build it, they will come. And uh, the answer is, no, they won't. If you build it, you've got to get people to actually use you. And, you know, after FreeServe, I've seen lots and lots of companies, people have come to me uh, with their ideas and, and the single, single biggest thing is they haven't figured out how they're actually going to get their customer. I will put it on social media. Yeah, but nobody, nobody's going to read it. Just by putting something on social media doesn't mean to say they're going to read it. But we do PR. Yeah, but uh, you can do all the PR you want unless it's something really interesting. Then people aren't going to read it. Uh, so actually getting the customer is something that you need to think about very, very carefully. And at the moment we, that we're talking now, uh, the single biggest PR event is is uh, two films, Barbie and Oppenheimer, and they've managed to get their uh, stories into uh, the press, into on the television, and they're making a fortune. Uh, but it's not by accident. They figured out how to do it. They've employed PR agents and and, and they come up with all sorts of ideas to get into the press. So if you get into the press, then that's fantastic. It's the single biggest. Uh, best way of actually getting your product or service out there, but you've got to come up with some great idea to do that. So FreeServe just grew and grew, and uh, we um, we had banks knocking on the door saying, we, we think, you know, you should uh, float the business. Now, um, it wasn't my business, which is the best thing. Uh, I was working for uh, Dixon's at the time, and Dixon's was an, a, a big multi-billion pound company and they could handle things like flotation. So they said, uh, we're going to float the business. And uh, so then FreeServe became a separate business. And that's when uh, I became, a you know, a, uh, a, a, you know, I just shares in the business then. Uh, whereas before I was just an employee at Dixon's. And uh, so we, nine months after we, we launched, FreeServe became a separate business and it floated on uh, the stock exchange in London and also on the NASDAQ in New York at a valuation of one and a half billion pounds, uh, which was amazing. One and a half billion pounds. And uh, the world went crazy. The dot-com boom had started. Um, FreeServe was one of the reasons why uh, there was a, a dot-com boom and then everyone wanted to float their business. And our share price kept on going up and up and up. And at one point, uh, we were actually worth uh, £9 billion. Wow. Uh, we became a FTSE 100 company. Uh, I know. So, you know, I was an executive officer of a FTSE 100 company, uh, whereas a couple of years before then, I was a manager in a store. Uh, 
One of the amazing things of this story is the is the timeline. And I, I was shocked at how short the whole story's timeline is. And that's, you know, initially from, from idea to nine billion is, is what, two years? Uh, yeah, a year and a half to two, billion, two years, yes, yeah. Just amazing. Amazing. But these stories don't come along often. I was going to say, and then the business got acquired by Wanadu, is that right? Yeah, so um, there was lots of people that wanted to acquire uh, FreeSurf. You know, I, I went over to America and, and met a, a film studio uh, that wanted to acquire um, FreeSurf, and there was a, a newspaper group that wanted to acquire it because they saw the, the benefits of, of being a big player in the UK market. Uh, but then, like all good things, um, uh, the price started to go down. And from nine billion, we started to go down eight billion, then seven billion, and we almost sold it for uh, six billion to a, a European uh, telecoms company. Uh, but that didn't happen, and, and in the end, we actually sold it to France Telecom uh, for one point six billion pounds. Uh, you know, when I'm saying it, it just sounds like a figure. But uh, three years after we launched in April 2001, we sold it for £1.6 billion, which is an amazing figure. Uh, uh, but more importantly, um, the Internet market had changed forever in the UK. Uh, people were on the Internet doing things that they couldn't even dream of. People were buying things. Uh, on the internet, which they couldn't do before. And people had things like an email address. Nobody had an email address before. Uh, they were communicating with other people on email. And it was the start of the change in the UK. Um, and our world had changed forever. People were building websites. Other companies were starting uh, e-commerce sites and and selling things on the internet, and their companies became uh, valuable companies that are now household names. Um, you know, my car insurance is up next month, and the first thing you're going to do, obviously, is go on to uh, a price comparison site. Um, you know, you couldn't do that before, could you? Um, you know, people want to go on holiday. Uh, they go on to one of the sites to find out how much uh, price of holidays are before they actually... Uh, do something. If you've got a uh, a problem, the first thing you do is you go onto the internet to find out if anybody else has had that problem or what the the cure is or you know whatever. The, the internet has become um, something that we rely on, and without the internet, I don't think we could survive now. Um, after free server was sold, uh, you know things like um, smartphones were launched. Uh, and we've now got, I mean, I have my smartphone there and, you know, I, I'm going to Manchester after this and I'll buy a ticket on an app on here uh, and, and then I won't need an actual ticket. It's got a QR code and I'll just do that and walk out. Uh, so our lives have changed forever. And, um, you know, the thing that kickstarted it all. Was and, it was, and it was your fault. Yeah. I mean, it would have happened anyway, I think. Just to go back to a couple of points you said there, I mean, firstly, and I don't want to sound like a really old fogey, but anybody under the age of maybe 30 won't probably be aware of FreeServe or even what life was like without the internet and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But you, you said there that what you did was facilitated, you know, a whole ecosystem. I mean, personally, my business launched online around 2000, 2001. So you were almost personally responsible 
for me launching and running and growing a business because we launched around that time because it facilitated what we were doing. And it's, it's really hard to, to explain to the younger generation how life-changing what you and FreeServe did was to the general population. And just going forward from there, um, you know, you, your product and your opportunity and your eureka moment was a perfect storm. Mm, yeah. Do you think something similar to what you did would be possible now? I mean, not in the same market because obviously it's been done, but that perfect storm that you you were right in the middle of. Yeah, yeah. First of all, I, I, I think a lot of people will misunderstand FreeServe and they think it's because it was free. That's not the actual thing. The thing that changed everything was the fact that uh, there was a browser because before FreeServe, the market leaders, uh, which was AOL and CompuServe, uh, they didn't have a browser. They had something called a walled garden. So when you got onto the internet, you could only stay within their walled garden. Uh, so you couldn't go outside of it. There was no www and go to where you want. There was just a walled garden. So there was none of this go wherever you want onto the internet like it is now. It was a walled garden. And... Microsoft did not include a browser because the market leaders didn't need a browser. The thing that FreeServe did, and it's the thing that changed everything, including in America, I think, was the fact that all of a sudden there was a browser and you didn't have a walled garden anymore. And because you had a browser, you had the freedom to go anywhere onto the internet. That's the thing that changed the whole world, actually. Uh, because AOL and CompuServe, the market leaders, had a walled garden, and that was it. And once FreeServe came onto the market, uh, it went from a walled garden to a browser. And you then had the freedom to go anywhere you want onto the internet. And now, we were a British company, but in America, uh, the market leaders were also AOL and CompuServe. And people there were watching what was happening to the UK. And then they also introduced the same thing, which was uh, a CD with a browser on it. And then, uh, because the markets took off so well, then uh, Microsoft changed and they included a browser with Windows. And then there was no need to have a well a CompuServe anymore because you had a browser and you could do whatever you want and use whichever ISP you want. Yeah. Because the thing that stopped people from using an ISP was they didn't have a browser and you had to FTP it from the site. And then we had a, a CD, and then when Microsoft changed with an upgrade and included the browser on uh, the computer, the whole world changed. And that's still the thing that we use to get onto the internet. Amazing. So if you use an app, really behind it is a browser. If you sign up for Sky, uh, ISP broadband, it's a browser. So the whole world revolves around a browser. So in answer to your question, is there going to be another um, change, another thing that's going to change the world? Well, I think we're actually um, in that moment at the moment, which is artificial intelligence, AI. And I think we're seeing an awful lot of change. And the change is going to be with how we actually use the internet, the way we use our our smartphones, the way we use our iPads, and 
the companies that are now taking advantage of this, they're starting to offer different services, services that weren't available just a year ago. And uh, we're using things that we couldn't use before. And, um, you know, I, I read something about how, you know, your job, your company uh, may disappear because of AI. Really, it's not. The thing that's going to cause your business to disappear is because someone else who has got a better understanding of AI and how they use it, they're the ones that are going to put you out of business, not yeah. AI. Yeah. It's going to be how other people can take advantage of it. And it's happening now. You know, we're, we're actually using it. You may not think you're using AI, but you actually are. Um, and, uh, you know, when you type something on um, uh, uh, a messaging uh, service, yep. uh, it comes up with the next word. And I'm, I'm sure people will think to themselves every day, how did it know that was a word that I wanted? It's absolutely amazing. Um, so the way we use the internet is changing completely. Sure. And by things like AI, and that's not the last thing. There's going to be other things that we'll be using in the next year, next two years, three years, four years. That's going to constantly change the way we use technology. Um, what I want to go on to next um, is your, you're now business advisor. So you've got lots and lots of learnings that you share with people. And I also want to touch on some angel investment uh, advice and, and thoughts as well. But before we do, um, I need to tell everybody, as I do every week, about the Leeds Business Podcast Gentlemen's Agreement and Ladies. So there's two halves to this agreement. The first half is my half of the agreement, which is every week I bring you inspiring, brilliant, fascinating Leeds business people totally for free, like FreeServe. Your half, Mr. Listener or Mrs. Listener, your half of the deal has three parts to it. Number one, I want you to share this podcast with just one person who you think will get value from it. Number two, I want you to post a review of the, sh a review of the show at either Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And number three, I want you to give this episode a like. That's it. That's your part of the deal. So, Ajaz, do you think people should uh, post a review on here? and give your episode a like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't think you've asked much. You know, if people are sat at home or at work listening to this, then hopefully they'll get value from it and they shouldn't just keep it to themselves. Uh, they should share it with other people. And uh, you never know, your podcast series might become um, a massive um, podcast uh, all over the country because what we don't want to do is just make it a uh, a leads thing um, the the advice that I'm giving it will apply to everyone absolutely absolutely so let's get let's go on to some of the advice then so you now work um, as a business advisor um, give us some of the sort of key learnings that you share with with the people you work with you know as a business owner what do you think are the, the key lessons they need to understand and know and 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 yeah really okay. work on well I, you know i tell people i'm a i'm a shopkeeper and i am a, i'm a retailer um and retail is about the customer and it's applying retail principles to whatever you're doing now i've helped a, a lot of businesses and uh they've not been retail businesses but i've applied retail principles to those businesses and i think one of the things that people need to understand is how retail works um, and I advise people to go to a supermarket 
and not buy anything. Uh, they should walk around and they should look at um, how retailers sell their products, you know, and don't buy anything. Just walk around with your hands in your pocket and look at how not the retailer, but the actual manufacturers who are selling their things get their message across to you. And then you might figure out why, you, you know, you end up going to the supermarket and spending more money than you intended to spend and why you end up buying things that you didn't intend to buy and why you throw food away that you never actually ate. And it's because of the power of communication. And you should also learn about psychology as well, because that's what um, business is about. It's about psychology, and it's about things like retail, about how you get your message across, how you communicate with the customer. So it doesn't matter what you do. Uh, if you learn uh, about the, the business of retail and psychology, it'll help your business. So I was going to say, just on your supermarket, the great example, going to the supermarket, what sort of things would you encourage people to look at? Are you talking sort of sales promotion, special offers, design? Yeah, it, it's, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, the actual retailer, uh, we've been through a bit of a, um, a recession, haven't we? Uh, without the word recession. Um, and, uh, retailers especially supermarkets have managed to come through that because they've made changes the way they communicate uh with customers uh the way they get their message across uh the way they get people to actually buy from you and now there's lots and lots of ways that they do that and if you go into the supermarket with the intention of learning from them uh you'll um, without buying anything if you start buying things then it'll start to think about what you're buying and if you do that then you'll actually learn an awful lot from someone else for free um my favorite retailer is actually ikea uh, believe it or not ikea okay uh, tell us why because uh, they actually uh, get their message across uh, very, very well. People think, oh, hey, IKEA, because you've got to walk around and things like that. But it's that thing that helps you find what you're looking for. The way they write about the things that they're selling is why people buy them. Um, the whole thing about IKEA is fantastic. And it's actually a private company. It's not a, a publicly quoted company. And they've got stores all over the world. I've been to some IKEA stores in other countries. And they're fantastic. They really, really are. And I think you've actually got to go and look around. Uh, and then you'll understand why they're so successful. If IKEA wants to open a store, uh, it takes them a long time to do it because uh, the amount of traffic they'll generate, the council uh, have got to make sure that they can actually cope with that. They've got to change the roads and things like that. Now what they're actually doing is they're opening smaller stores in town centres and city centres because there's lots of vacant stores and they're going to open smaller stores uh, selling things that uh, they were only selling in their big superstores. Um, so, you know, IKEA is a great uh, retailer. Apple, as we've talked about, is a great retailer as well. Uh, if you want to buy an iPhone, people um, actually make the journey to buy it from an actual Apple store rather than buying from their local store. It's the same product that they're going to buy because they love buying it from the brand of Apple. Um, so there's so much to learn about retail. And you can read about it if you want, or you can just go and visit these stores and look at how they do it. And if you do that, you know, with the intention of actually learning, you learn all sorts. And then you can apply that to your own business as well. 
Fantastic, fantastic. And I touched on this. You, I, I know because uh, we've we've worked together on on some of these things we've looked at. You do some angel investing. In terms of people looking for angel investment, what do you think they should be selling or showing to you as a potential investor that that will make you invest? Well, um, most of uh, the companies that I look at are actually pretty crap. Um, And, uh, you know, it's something called um, ugly baby syndrome. (laughs) Now, if you imagine that um, uh, a couple have just had a baby and they're in love with that baby, aren't they? Because it's their baby. And you go along and look at the baby and you think, oh, shit, that's ugly, isn't it? Um, And it's the same in business. People have got ideas and they think these are fantastic ideas. But the majority of ideas that I get to look at are actually pretty shit, unfortunately. And the best example of this is Simon Cowell um, on The X Factor or Britain's Got Talent. And uh, you get people there who think they can sing. And in the back, they've got their family or their friends with a T-shirt on, you know, uh, praying for it. And they they try and sing. And then Simon Cowell says, no, I'm sorry, but you can't sing. And the reason they think they can sing is they've never actually met anybody who hasn't got vested interest. So their family and friends have got vested interest. So they tell them, well, you can sing. Uh, But... um, they need to sing in front of someone who hasn't got a vested interest. And it's the same in business. They only talk to people that have got a vested interest and they think they've got a great idea. What they need to do is meet someone who hasn't got a vested interest who will tell them the truth. It's not very good. So I've met so many people that have got pretty poor ideas and they've never spoken to someone who's going to tell them the truth. It's not going to work. There's another side to that as well, because, you know, I work as a, as a business sounding board, a sort of mentor coach. And, and yes, that the, the key that business owners need to have is somebody who's not involved. It's the vested interest. You know, sometimes it's, it's conscious bias, sometimes it's unconscious bias. But I think one of the things that, that business advisors like myself and yourself can do is not only say you're ugly's baby, your, your baby's ugly. Sorry, I said that the wrong way around. <laughs> your baby's ugly. But actually to then say, this is how potentially you can change it. This is how you can improve it. This is what needs working on. And I think many, many business owners are so invested and so maybe proud, maybe arrogant, maybe too much self-belief that they won't listen. And I think that's one of the important things business owners do need is somebody from the outside saying, well, if you, you know, if you change it slightly, it might work at this direction or this market or. Yeah, no, absolutely right. Uh, when you meet someone who's got an ugly baby and you try and tell them it's not going to work, uh, then they'll they'll get upset and they carry on finding someone who will tell them it's great. So it's a beautiful baby that, and I'll charge you £2,000 and uh, we'll be able to do this. So they'll give them the money because uh, they're not upsetting them. Yeah. And there's an awful lot of that, I'm afraid. Um, and uh, so so making sure that you actually talk to someone who knows what they're talking about, who will tell you the truth, is the thing. Uh, but people don't like it when you tell them the truth. Yeah. That's a big problem, very big problem. Uh, you meet a lot of people who, you know, say, oh, yeah, I met you a few years ago. Yeah, well, how is your business going? Well, it didn't work. Yeah. Well, if you'd listened, then you wouldn't have wasted that time. <laughs> and you say, I told you so. 
yeah i told you so absolutely yeah yeah uh, i mean by the way I, I you know you know one of the most important things is I, I i met lots of people that said free serve do you know i had that idea as well yeah but you didn't do anything about it did you um so if you've got a, a eureka moment if you've had a eureka moment you've got to do something about it yeah yeah absolutely and I, it's interesting I, I wrote an article about exactly that the sort of person who sits watching telly and there's an ad they go that was my idea but if you didn't do anything you can't claim it as your idea but i know you know from the side of from the side of of angel investors rather than people who are looking for angel investment some of them work out some of them don't and i know you've got I know you've had investments that haven't worked, and I know you do a lot of work with uh, an agency in Sheffield, Cuba, that hugely does work. Um, you know, is there a, is there a magic formula? Uh, no, there isn't. Uh, there isn't a magic formula at all. Uh, well, you know, I have actually invested in businesses that haven't worked, and uh, I've lost a lot of money. But I've actually also learned a lesson as well, or lessons. And the lessons that I've learned are that um, if you put money into a business and it's not going the way you thought it was going to work, go, then you're actually more inclined to actually uh, risk more money. So, for example, if you put 50000 in and it's not going as you thought, you're more inclined to put another 50000 in to protect that 50000 and then it's still not going the right way. Then you put another 50000 in, and before you know it, you've actually lost £150,000. Then what you should have done is at the first £50,000, sat back and thought, actually, this isn't going to work. I've lost fifty grand. Uh, i am not going to put any more money in. And people are more inclined to risk more money if to protect the money they've already put in there. So if I put money into a business and it's not going to work, it's not working, then that's it. Stop. Uh, don't put any more in. That's an expensive lesson. Yeah, absolutely, a very, very expensive lesson, and I've I've lost an awful lot of money by not understanding that. The other thing I've learned is that um, I'm not going to put money into a company unless I can be a part of uh, the team. Uh, I don't want to give anybody any money and sit back and watch them run the business. I, I need to be part of it so I can help the direction of the business as well um, and um, use my expertise to grow the business as well. Uh, and the last lesson that is, if I don't understand that sector, then don't put money into it. If I don't understand what they're doing, then don't put any money into it. So I think those are important lessons that I've learned and I'm going to make sure I don't lose any money in the future. Uh, you know, I'm the chairman of a company called Cuba and Cuba is a web technology business um, and uh, we build websites for large businesses you know everything from airports to insurance companies and and you know really large businesses where there's more technology in the back than the front and i understand that business so i can uh, you know, talk to them every day, um, give them help and advice as well, and understand what the business is doing. Whereas if I was working in a business that I don't understand, then there's no point. Yeah, that's, yeah. And, and I think that's, that's probably advice for investors and people who are looking for investment to actually, rather than just to shotgun and look at everybody, they actually should pick off potential investors who are from their sector, for who understand it, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just want to touch on one yeah. one final thing. Um, 
you you almost it's almost your your personal business advisor brand is is the phrase cut the crap why did yeah. you why did yeah. why did you pick that why and you know what's what's you know what's underlying yeah. behind it yeah okay so um i probably like yourself and other people as well uh you get invited to business talks and i used to sit there getting very very frustrated and the common mistakes that people were making is uh they've got powerpoint slides and they have lots of text on it and they've got graphs on it and they've got pictures on it and things like that and they end up turning their back to the audience reading their own slides and i thought what a load of crap and i thought you know uh every time i give a talk i need to cut the crap get to the point so i came up with a formula which is it's got a white background um and on the actual powerpoint it's only got one two or three words and that's it and it means that uh and i don't i've got no reason to turn my back to the audience i'm looking at the audience and uh, people understand the message and they enjoy it and uh, so the formula is completely different cut the crap and uh, people actually enjoy uh the talks and they remember uh the talks for years afterwards so uh the words that i have in there like ugly baby syndrome they're not going to forget that i've got one which is garlic bread which is why people say um yes to a good idea so sorry why they say no to good ideas and it's about a story um about garlic bread about how uh peter k's famous joke boss i've seen the future it's garlic bread uh people are going to be eating it in the future and his boss says am i hearing it right garlic bread bread with garlic on it don't be stupid um and you can imagine that you know maybe 50 years ago someone did say to their boss boss we should be selling garlic bread and the boss said no don't be stupid uh, but now we're all eating garlic bread aren't we yep so sometimes obvious things people say no to now if i talk about garlic bread uh for a little bit longer than i've just said to you you're going to remember that aren't you uh, i've got one which is uh, say yes to the dress which is about a, a program that my daughter's watch about um, a, a, a shop in new york selling wedding dresses um and again when i tell you the story you're going to remember it and i've got lots of stories like that and it's all about telling a series of short stories and all i've done today is tell you a series of short stories so storytelling is actually very very important and you're likely to remember the things that i've talked about today uh because they're just a series of short stories uh so that's what cut the crap is so if anybody wants me to talk at their event let me know i'll i'll talk and they'll remember the stories for years to come so if anybody does want you to talk at one of their events how do they get hold of you well uh another thing is that i've actually after free serve uh i thought i need my own personal brand i thought companies come and go and 
uh, email address is going to go because you've sold the company or the company's closed down. And um, if someone's got a Gmail address, they've got a stupid bloody address, which is ajaz5099 at um, gmail.com. It's not particularly good, is it? So I actually bought a domain name, which is uh, so savvy. All right, so that's my personal brand, so savvy. And I asked the designer just to copy TNT. Um, sorry, not TNT, FedEx. FedEx. So that is, uh, you know, uh, the FedEx logo essentially is copied. So that's my personal brand. So my email address is ajaz at sosavvy.co.uk. For those of you who are listening, so I own that for the rest of my life. Yet again, Ajaz has, has shown something to screen. So this is why you need to subscribe at the YouTube channel and watch these podcasts rather than listen to them because he's just shown you what his design looks like. So that's Ajaz at sosavvy.co.uk. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, by the way, another short story is that um, you've got branding is very, very important. I mean, if I didn't tell you the story behind So Savvy and I said to you, I've got 100 offices all over the country, uh, you'd believe me because it looks very professional, doesn't it? It does. But all So Savvy is, is my personal brand and that's it. Fantastic. And that my Cut the Crap brand is is that. And again, uh, Ajaz is now showing you the back of his business card which says Cut the Crap on it. <laughs> yeah, and by the way... Uh, if your business card is portrait, people are likely to turn it over. Is that right? Yeah. If it if it's um, this way, landscape, uh, it's a little bit bigger. Uh, whereas if it's portrait, because I, I gave this card to people and I always watch them and they always do this. They always turn it around. And uh, so always have your business card's portrait. They always turn it around. There you go. And on that note, that is, that's probably the biggest piece of learning everybody is listening will get from today is your business cards need to be portrait, not landscape. Ajaz, thank you very much indeed. It's been yeah. absolutely fascinating. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you found it both interesting and of use. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, please subscribe to the show. Go on, do it now. Do it now before you go off and do something else. Much appreciated. Oh, and don't forget our gentleman's agreement. See you next week.